1: Welcome back, Friday, November 10th, 2023, I am Seth Liebson, I see Mr. Bill to my right, David Dahl, my producer, right in front of me, and Terry behind him, 602-508-0960 is the number. With Prolepsis, I wish you all a meaningful Veterans Day. If you are a veteran and would like to share a story you'd like to impart about the import of your service, this is your show. You know, just too many today are divorced and removed from anyone in their family or friendship circles who serve or have served in the military. And there are a lot of reasons for that. But keep in mind these numbers. Today, 6% of U.S. adults are veterans. 6%, down from close to 20% in 1980, according to the Census Bureau. And this drop coincides with decreases in active duty personnel. Over the past half century, the number of people on active duty has dropped significantly as well, from about 3.5 million in 1968 during the draft era to uh, just under 1.3 million in today's all-volunteer force, or less than 1% of all U.S. adults. Of course, the military draft ended in 1973. So look at that. Between 1980 and today, there's been a greater than 50 percent decline in Americans serving in the military. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had more veterans going into schools to share their stories, by the way? But of course we don't. Indeed, the trend is for schools to shun military recruitment and just at the ages it matters most. We have another problem. Recruitment has become much more difficult, with the vast majority of recruitment-age citizens being ineligible for military service based on inadequate education, criminality, drug use, and obesity. 71% of eligible-age recruits, roughly aged 17 to 24, are simply not eligible. That's a huge, huge problem. It's actually a crisis. And there's a problem of apathy as well and a constant issue of mine, the turning of patriotism into a down-market commodity. Today it's even worse, as the idea of supporting your nation or nationalism, we are told by the media on the left, is racist. This is what our culture has given us. This is what our left wing has given us. To accommodate that, the military now recruits based on wokeism and intersectionality, making it all the worse because, as Bill Maher puts it, America always overcorrects. So in the face of all that, as a rebuke to the culture, let us celebrate the men and women who gave us our freedom and allow us to keep it, along with keeping us safe. As John Stuart Mill put it, we are kept free due to the exertions of better men than, in this case, myself. You know, one of the things I think about a lot in this context is the way we teach or I should say don't teach, history, particularly American history. It's our worst subject. You know I return to Ronald Reagan's farewell address a lot, his final address to the nation from the White House in 1989. It's got it all, including his greatest warning and wish, a return to what he called an informed patriotism. Here's how Ronald Reagan put it. Those of us older than 35 or so, we were taught very directly what it means to be an American, and we absorbed... It almost in the air, a love of country and an appreciation for its institutions. If you didn't get these things from your family, you got them from your neighborhood, from the father down the street who fought in Korea or the family who lost someone in Anzio. Or you could get a sense of patriotism from school. And if all else failed, you could get a sense of patriotism from the popular culture. The movies celebrated democratic values and implicitly reinforced the idea that America was special. TV was like that, too, through the mid-60s, ahead to the 90s. But now we're about to enter those 90s, and some things have changed. Younger parents aren't sure that an unambivalent appreciation of America is the right thing to teach modern children. And as for those who create the popular culture, well-grounded patriotism is no longer in style, close quote. So among other things, President Reagan urged us, importuned us to do, what he importuned us to do was to study American history again. I recently saw an ad on some cable station promoting Audie Murphy Week, a week of Audie Murphy movies, and it reminded me of Reagan's speech and the thought that I'd bet nobody under the age of 45, not 35 now, but 45, perhaps older, has no idea who Audie Murphy is or was, maybe 55. So there's ignorance creep. Larger and larger parts of the population are becoming more and more ignorant. Their knowledge of history is from TikTok, which explains their ignorance of what's happening all around them, including with regard to the Gaza and Israel War. One thing Reagan said in his speech was this, quote, we've got to teach history based not on what's in fashion, but on what's based on what's important. Why the pilgrims came here, who Jimmy Doolittle was, and what those 30 seconds over Tokyo meant. Close quote. Think about just that one sentence. Forget Audie Murphy for a moment. One sentence. Can anyone under 50 tell me what 30 seconds over Tokyo meant or who Jimmy Doolittle was? I know David can, but I bet most of you not. I'll give you a little. Let me quote from Wikipedia because it's actually, and this is sad, more detailed and thorough than most history books. Indeed, indeed, check your child's American history books. Is Doolittle in there at all? Is Audie Murphy? Okay. He volunteered for and received General H.H. Arnold's approval to lead the top-secret attack of 16 B-25 medium bombers from the aircraft carrier USS Hornet with targets in Tokyo, Kobe, Yokohama, Osaka, and Nagoya. After training at Eglin Field and Wagner Field in northwest Florida, Doolittle, his aircraft and volunteer flight crews, they proceeded to McClellan Field, California, for aircraft modifications at the Sacramento Air Depot, followed by a short final flight to Naval Air Station Alameda, California, for embarkation aboard the aircraft carrier USS Hornet. On April, 4th, excuse me, on April 18th, Doolittle and his 16 B-25 crews took off from the Hornet, reached Japan and bombed their targets. Fifteen of the planes then headed for their recovery airfield in China, while one crew chose to land in Russia due to their bombers' unusually high fuel consu- consumption. As did most of the other crewmen who participated in the one way mission, Doolittle and his crew bailed out safely over China when their B 25 ran out of fuel. By then, they had been flying for about 12 hours. It was nighttime, the weather was stormy, and Doolittle was unable to locate the landing field. Doolittle came down in a rice paddy, saving a previously injured ankle from breaking near Kuzau. He and his crew linked up after the bailout and were helped through Japanese lines by Japanese guerrillas and an American missionary with an interesting name, young David, John Birch. Other air crews were not so fortunate, although most eventually reached safety with the help of friendly Chinese. Seven crew members lost their lives, four as a result of being captured by the Japanese, and three due to an aircraft crash or while parachuting. Doolittle thought he would be court-martialed due to having to launch the raid ahead of schedule after being spotted by Japanese patrol boats. Doolittle went on to fly more combat missions as commander of the 12th Air Force in North Africa, for which he was awarded four Air Medals. The other surviving members of the Doolittle raid also went on to new assignments. Doolittle received the Medal of Honor from President Franklin Roosevelt at the White House for planning and leading his raid on Japan. His citation reads, quote, For conspicuous leadership above and beyond the call of duty involving personal valor and intrepidity at an extreme hazard to life. With the apparent certainty of being forced to land in enemy territory or to perish at sea, Lieutenant Colonel Doolittle personally led a squad squadron of army bombers manned by volunteer crews in a highly destructive raid on the Japanese mainland. The Doolittle raid is viewed by historians as a major Morale building victory for the United States. And guess what? Major morale building victory for the United States. He won a Medal of Honor. Guess what? Yeah, civilians were killed as the raid strafed a school and a hospital. So, yeah, hell yeah, let's study these guys again. Let's salute all our veterans. But isn't it a great way to do that, to study those who encouraged them and who they learned from and whose paths they walked in? All these men and women were all better men than myself. And again, if you have a favorite veteran you want to salute or you yourself are and want to communicate a lesson, here we are because you were here too. Here's to my daddy, Eugene Leibson, who fought in the Battle of Okinawa and occupied Hiroshima. But bless you, all the veterans, bless you and thank you. I'm Seth, Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. will be right back. I don't know how many of you have watched the Douglas Murray uh, interview with um, Piers Morgan. Please do, if you haven't, just take my word for it. You can find it anywhere online, Piers Morgan and Douglas Murray. It's that popular. They get into this question of can you be pro-Palestinian and not anti Israeli and anti-Jew, and you should see what Douglas Murray has to say about that. At least, given the protests we've seen, and I was just going through my Twix feed, and um, there's a um, picture of a very fit, obvious, obviously uh, someone who works out a lot, young man um, named Sasha who uh, works at Amazon. Who has uh, who is one of the kidnapped, one of the hostages. And um, this person, trying to remember him and just be mindful of him and his family, put up a very kind tweet about him, saying, For 35 days, Sasha's been held hostage by Hamas, along with his mother, grandmother, and girlfriend. He's, his friends are asking that at 3 p.m. we have a cup of coffee in his honor, because he would always take his team to coffee at 3 p.m., very kind, very nice, very decent. And uh some young lady, American named Jessica, with a lot of followers on Twitter, posts by the way, she has a Palestinian flag next to an American flag as her as her virtue signals. She posts, Imagine being a gym freak and still not managing to fight your kidnappers. What a loser. Yeah. That's that's what we're dealing with with these. Young idiots.
2: I had a feeling I might hear from Rob today. Hello, Rob. Hello, Seth. Happy Friday. Happy, uh, happy, happy pre Veterans Day. By the way, the, um, when I was a kid, I remember reading the book, uh, 30 Seconds Over Tokyo. Yeah, right.
1: Ted yeah.
2: Ted Lawson was, I think, uh, one of the pilots, and I think his plane was the Ruptured Duck. Mm. Um, and I think the, in the movie, Thirty seconds over Tokyo. I think he was Van Johnson's character. Oh, okay, you know, okay. And okay. And, he, and he ended up, you know, losing a leg to gangrene or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, definitely, you know, certainly one of the uh, key moments in early World War II in the Pacific that it really did raise morale. And I, I'm surprised people don't know a lot of these things. Um, another another thing that I find in a sort of an ironic way was. In September of 76, 1976, um, a Soviet major, Victor Belenko, had uh, flown a MiG-25 Foxbat from uh, a Soviet air base into Japan and basically left everything behind. And he didn't speak English. Uh, his wife wanted to divorce him anyway. Um, but he, uh, he risked his life, basically, and he wanted to make sure that the MiG-25 was intact. Um, he, uh, with some assistance from John Barron, I think, had written a book called Mig Migpilot. Um, and what, the, one of the reasons why he had uh, sought and claimed asylum and defected to the U.S. was uh, his reality didn't match what the parties uh, were saying. The communist Isn't paradise the wasn't uh, communi- exactly yeah. his
1: idea of what paradise was?
2: Yeah. And and uh, you know he he uh, talked about the zeks you know the prisoners uh, that he saw and met the uh, poor people that had no food or the ones that had to stand in line for hours and then um, other things that had happened when Stalin basically died he became a non-person. Which was very strange to him because you know he was supposed to be so beloved. Yeah. Uh, and then and then the same thing kind of happened to Khrushchev, except uh, this was before Khrushchev died. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, one of the things about Viktor Belenko, though, is I mean he risked everything uh, for freedom, mm. uh, free, freedom to think and speak out, which is another thing you couldn't do in then Soviet Union. I don't think you can still do that even in modern day Russia. Uh, which is still kind of hanging on to uh, Soviet qualities. Um, I also think that um, there's there's kind of an irony to uh, a lot of this stuff that Victor Blanco was looking, you know, don't believe your own eyes. How do you spell uh, the last name, roughly? Uh, okay, B-E-L-E-N-K-O.
1: Hey, yeah, rings a faint bell, and I'm Googling. Oh, man, look at that. Still alive, I think.
2: Yeah, he is. Yeah, He's okay. like seventy-six years okay, old now, okay. uh-huh. uh, um, and he had uh, he had done this. Uh, he didn't know English at all at the time. Uh, they took uh, the Japanese actually diplomatically took a big risk by uh, holding on to his plane and uh, waiting. And some U.S. people, scientists and engineers and aerospace technicians, uh, they took the plane apart one by one, and Russian, Russia, uh, Soviet Union. Uh, then was uh, very mad at Japan, obviously, at us, and Victor came to the U.S. um, and got indoctrinated uh, into the U.S. way of life, which, again, spelled freedom, and went to the grocery stores here and thought he was just sort of being set up. And, you know, this is like for the— Oh, like it was a Potemkin
1: village or something? They can't really be like this? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah.
2: And then as time went on and he went to different places and uh, medical clinics and so forth, he found that he had really, his instincts were correct. This is actually America. Yeah, this
1: is what paradise is. Yeah,
2: this is exactly. And he um, basically still uh, lives. He's apparently a, a. a businessman uh, aerospace engineer yeah. or was he Got, he, he went retired, quiet yet. it
1: looks like but the soviets it turns out if i'm reading this right they they would lie about him to the countrymen right they they lied oh, about him oh yeah they yeah. said they maybe said even he said died he was killed or something yeah yeah. yeah yeah right
2: in in a car wreck in the us yeah, yeah. Uh, and then of course the us soviet well the soviet diplomats in washington promised you know hey if you come back uh, you know, you'll be, you'll, nothing will happen to oh, you. Oh, yeah, sure. And then his, his wife, who didn't like uh, him anymore and wanted to divorce him, was even forced to say, oh, we miss you, we love you, we want you to come back, which, again, was a lie. Um, and he was tempted because, like anybody else, if, if you go to a different country yeah. from the one you yeah. grew up in, no <laughs> matter how lousy it is, yeah. you get homesick.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, you know, for the food. Sure, sure, sure. For sure, sure. Certain and, parts of the culture, yeah, sure.
2: Yeah, so I think you know, and the technological uh, gains that we learned about the MiG twenty-five Foxbat was priceless because we. So we should we make him know. a veteran
1: of the Cold War.
2: Well, yeah, he he was a Cold War veteran yeah, basically. for our he, he side. Would, the other uh, starting at the other yeah. side, and then uh, for our side, and he he would go to uh, things like the Oshkosh Air Show, the Reno Air Races, and he was actually at Miramar uh, before my time uh there so i never got a chance to meet him but yeah he's still alive and kicking we don't know exactly where he lives but it's a fantastic it's a wonderful story uh, along the lines of um 30 seconds over tokyo in in a different sort of way that a guy gives up everything for freedom after he discovers that he's been lied to all his life oh my gosh what a great share yeah, it's it's something that again they ought to they ought to have this book uh, mandatory reading for high school, no junior high, yeah, uh, and and make them at least appreciate what freedom really means. Yeah. Which I could I could get into, you know, the whole Republican platform lacking uh, a message, but I think freedom would be a, a darn good start to unify around. Yeah,
1: it sure would be. It sure would be. I love the idea. Gosh, thanks for sharing yeah. that, Rob. You taught me something. Oh, you taught exactly. me a lot. Thank you, brother.
2: Well, that, I, you teach me a lot every time I listen well, to you. Well, thank so you, you for your I service to our country, too. <laughs> too. i
1: got to hit the break. Well, God love you. Are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and quality of life, or are they creating problems, and forcing solutions that only benefit the elite? Midas Gold Group believes it's the latter. From draconian COVID restrictions, decimation of small businesses, and changed elections, Laws, Midas believes your finances will be next. Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power, and their central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate your savings and purchasing privacy. The answer? Convert a portion of your savings or IRA to physical gold and silver. Precious metals are a private currency, they've been used to store wealth throughout history. And thousands of you have trusted the veterans at Midas Gold Group, just like Seb Gorka and I, because they're fighting for your financial freedom and privacy. Call Midas Gold Group today at 480 That's 480 Or check them out online at midasgoldgroup.com. Craig was walking down. My colleague Craig was walking uh, down the hall here. And it's Friday, and it's a holiday. And I wanted to introduce you to the audience and also have you help me out with something that needs to be done here with my producer, Young David.
3: Oh, geez. Okay. Do you oh, want to introduce yourself to the audience? Speak right into the microphone. Hi. Welcome to meet you all. Craig Maggi here. You want to brag on your son? Uh, Drew, who was with the Pirates, made his big league debut this year. It was a lot of fun, exciting for him. It was 13 years in the making and he finally made it with the Pittsburgh Pirates. So we just, we had a blast with it and uh, hopefully good things will come from that. And you gave me a nice t-shirt. Yes, never give up. Thank you very much. Exactly. Oh, you're so
1: welcome. You look like the kind of guy who is experienced in a great many things, indoors and outdoors. You just have that Demeanor and build about you. And my producer, Young David, yesterday was telling me he was planning to go camping this weekend. <laughs> mm. And I was hoping you and I might be able to kind of maybe talk, talk in out, out of that. <laughs> not that you're probably, you're probably not against camping. I am.
3: I don't want to speak for you. Feel free. Didn't I tell you my camping story with, with uh, my wife when we were uh, newly married? No. Well, actually, we weren't newly married. We had... Five kids at the time. Yeah, you weren't really married and, at that um, point. No. And it was a disaster. Okay.
1: Uh, oh, we, so you are a, a contra camping. You're yeah. against it.
3: Growing up, camping was great. Okay. When it was my turn to prepare and do everything, it was an absolute disaster.
1: Okay. All right. Young David, will you? are you still planning to go camping?
4: I, well, because of uh, a schedule miscoordination, <laughs> um, I have uh, reconsidered. My weekend. I think I think that's smart. Mo- mostly because I didn't realize that uh, it's outdoors. Were, no, uh, all of my friends were leaving today, and I failed to realize that most um, public service. You jobs know what? Had this chaos. is
1: a living are going to envy the dead kind of situation. I I'm glad you're not going. You shouldn't. Have you ever? Either of you ever heard Jim Gaffigan's take on camping? No. <laughs> oh, he no. said, "Well, my wife, you might want to call." Says she says she's she's kind of outdoorsy and she goes to me one day do you want to go camping and i i said no and he said um and she said why she, he says cuz it's outside and she said to him no but it's a great tradition a lot of people have camped throughout history he says yeah until they invented something called the house mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah you know i she goes well what what if i could, what if we had an what, what if we went in a camper and had a bathroom in it he goes, well, I still wouldn't want to go. You, you wake up freezing. And, you know, you think about the campers. What's the whole point of a camper if you're going camping? It's to keep everything outside, outside from getting in. Right? My parents never took me camping, he said. You know why? Because they loved me. <laughs> she said it, it will get you closer to nature. He goes, I'd like to keep the relationship professional. (laughs) The relationship professional. (laughs) If it's so great to be outside, why are all the bugs trying to get in? And also, he said, I think it's an insult to homeless people. We're volunteering to go do what they have to do and don't like. jeez. Right? And also the signs, this is my favorite part, the signs where it says, if you see a bear, Mm. don't run. And he asks, "Who put that up? The bear?" <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, also the phrase "happy camper." He goes into all of that. You remember the phrase "happy camper"? Yeah. Because yeah. really the only happy campers are the people leaving the campsite. <laughs> anyway, I thought I could. I I thought I could use your help here to dissuade young david but it turns out
3: well fortunately he's he's already dissuaded yeah. and he's uh he's he's moving on and gonna be sleeping in a nice bed probably and enjoying the comforts of indoor yes. life
4: yes how do you know what my bed's like
3: craig well i don't know but i'm assuming it's better than where you it's better sleep? than the ground yeah
1: yeah yeah thank you craig you're so welcome all right we'll see you a little later no thanks line. for stopping by that was fun welcome back to the seth leapson show a little bob dylan courtesy of johnny cash for you right there they're all coming in today mr bill it's nice to see you here in the studio oh hey seth Nice to have you. Yeah, thank What's you. going on? You're not going camping this weekend?
0: No, I heard the prior segment with Craig, and I'm an avid endorsement
1: <laughs> myself. <laughs> <An> avid endorsement. <laughs> avid and noted. Some endorsement people work also. from
4: home. He homes from work. Yeah. You, yes, I do.
1: You do, don't you? You bring a lot of your accoutrements in here and charge them up. And oh yeah, you got your toothbrush. You, know, you got your exercise equipment. Does anyone not have an electric toothbrush anymore? Remember, no, as a kid, an electric know. toothbrush was kind of a special thing, kind of neat. Oh, Oh, neat. You have an electric tooth. You'd go to a friend's house. Oh, wow. You have an electric tooth. Does anyone not have an electric tooth? Do you have an electric toothbrush? I do not have an electric toothbrush. Oh, tooth so you're, brush. Uh, you're, you're a standard. You're conventional, conventional among the, yeah, you're normal the campers. Analog brusher. That's worked analog, for countless years. Analog brusher. Is your dental situation okay? I have no idea. You have a lot of fillings, a lot of cavities.
4: Um,. I had retainers when I was a kid. You have no Boy, cavity we're going to weird so That's places. good. Um, All right. Yeah. All right. Just, just don't go to some, the dentist. Problem solved. Yeah. Speaking of wanted men, you're you a, a wanted man. become a rabid
1: anti-dentite? I guess I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
4: What? I said,
1: speaking of wanted men, you're a wanted man. We had some guests come in here during the break and visit you. Serving me a subpoena with a U.S. Marshal's badges? <laughs> that would be the wanted man. Is that what you're talking about? No, they appeared to be Jewish missionaries oh yeah we did have that earlier didn't we yeah kind of interesting yeah um young how old they were young guys weren't they they looked young like they looked 17 young, or they? did you see them bill i did yeah I, one I, of them had a head start on the beard yeah. for a, a young man so probably not quite in their 21s probably not yet i am not as familiar
4: with judaism as i am familiar yeah. with the protestant faith Did they also have a call to mission work
1: Yes and no. It's interesting. Yes and no. Yes and no. Yes and no. (laughs) Right. Who's that? Nigel Tunful? Nigel Tufnell. yeah. Nigel Tufnel from... uh, Spinal Tap. This is Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap. Uh, Yes and no. Um, So the Orthodox that you saw come in, and I think they were Hasidim. I'm not sure. I think they were. Um, They... um, Yes, I'm pretty sure they were, based on what they were doing. Yes, they would have been Hasidim. They, um, they go to people they know are Jewish. So to the degree it's missionary work as you understand it, it's not to convert non-Jews to Judaism. It's only to approach fellow Jews who, um, shall we say, aren't, aren't orthodox, aren't, don't look like them. Um, and to get them to do a little, a little, a little prayer with them, under the notion of, um, and a particularly poignant thing going on these days, as Rabbi Elucia has talked about. Maybe we'll visit with him on this later. Um, under the notion of just do one extra good deed, say one extra prayer these days. You know, just do one. They call them mitzvot. I was going to say that. Yeah. I'm learning yeah. my Yiddish. Yeah, it's you are. Mitzvahs. Yes. Yeah. Do one more good deed or commandment, literally. Uh, so they go around to Jews, uh, fellow Jews, to do it, that. Um, they don't go around to non-Jews in the style that a missionary might go around trying to convert to <clears throat> their faith. Judaism doesn't do that, actually. It doesn't seek converts. Um, it's an interesting thing. You can convert to Judaism, but it's not a religion that seeks conversion. It, uh, in fact, most Orthodox rabbis are obliged. I think all of them are obliged when someone seeks to convert to Judaism, goes to them to convert to Judaism. The rabbi is obliged to actually turn them away and tell them to study their own faith first to make sure that that's really what they want to do. Because they don't want, you know, a convert who doesn't take it seriously. But if they come back, then they'll start doing classes with him. But it's not, they, yeah. Does that answer your question? Am I going on too long here? No, it does answer my question. Okay. So that's what we saw. Uh, Anything else for you, Mr. Bill? What did we learn this week? Haven't done that in a while. That's a throwback. What did you learn this week? I learned that John Birch saved Jimmy Doolittle.
4: Of the John Birch Society. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting.
1: I learned that young David wants to become a precinct committeeman and go to the and, – and ultimately become a uh, delegate to the Republican <laughs> convention. You, you
4: did learn this. I was uh, reading more in Stephen Shattuck's book on the Goldwater campaign of 1964, and perhaps we'll discuss this with John at a future date. But uh, I got to the San Francisco chapters, and I was like, wow, it would be really cool to be on the floor and be a delegate, especially at a contested convention.
1: It would be. You won't find probably a contested convention anymore. But uh, you got to become a precinct committeeman first. Not hard to do. How by do the... I
4: do that and what do I have to do?
1: Well, actually, you know what? That's a good question for the whole audience. I want everyone in this audience, if they're not precinct committeemen, go become one uh, or try and become one if there's uh, an ability and opening to do that. Uh, it's a good way to get involved in politics. If you're not going to run for school board, start by becoming a precinct committeeman. Um, there's a website, actually, that will teach you how to do it, tell you how to do it. It's not heavy lifting. Honest, honestly, it's not. Um, look up Arizona, um, how to become an Arizona Republican precinct committeeman. AZGOP.com slash PC. AZGOP.com slash p. Are you a precinct committeeman? I am not. Have you ever been? No, I've been for both parties as a high school student. I was. One, oh, no, oh, a, that is an interesting. I have. Wow. No, no, not as a high school, so as a college student, as a college student, I was one for the Democratic Party. You know who is the chairman of my of my precinct? Sam Goddard. Do you know who Sam Goddard was? He was a governor of Arizona, Democratic governor of Arizona. And in his retirement, he was our precinct chairman. And I, not, I in college, was a precinct. Now I'm a Republican precinct <laughs> committee. AZGOP.com <man. laughs> slash history. PC. Yeah. Three simple steps find your, find your legislative district. You can get it there on the website. Step two, contact your legislative district chairman. Step three, complete the PC appointment form for your respective county.
4: All right. Maybe by Monday I'll come in and be a precinct committee
1: member. Yeah. See, see, well, there has to be an opening. There probably is. I mean, I think they're having – I don't know that, that they're all full. Am I going to break?
4: No, we've got about two minutes. Yeah. Um, That's, that brings up something interesting I've been meaning to ask you yes. in, in, in a while. Uh-huh. You mentioned your activism in the Democratic Party as a young yep. man. Yep. And by Collins. our friend
1: Steve and, says get appointed to a vacancy. There's probably a vacancy. Okay. That's the fastest way. I'll take way. a look. Okay, I'll go. take
4: a look. Uh, have you ever regretted? Uh, um, I
1: heard nothing you said building up to have you ever regretted. Oh, well, great. Sorry. Okay,
4: go ahead. Well, I could just start with it and you know, throw you try it out again, there. yes. Have you ever regretted a vote, especially in your younger and more Democratic years?
1: Oh, yeah. Everything before the age of whatever I was when I became a Republican. Everything before the age of. Uh, so I regret my 18 year old vote, <laughs> and I would have reg- guess I, re- I regret my 20 year old vote. I think by twenty two, I was good to go, though. Okay, that sounds about cool. right. I yeah.
4: think I was. Yeah, not many people have those conversion stories. Yeah, yeah. I was.
1: E- uh, yeah, go ahead.
0: Eighteen would have been Dukakis then, right?
1: Uh, before Dukakis, uh, Mondale. No, <laughs> how old do you think I am? <laughs> Stop it, Adelaide Stevenson. <laughs> Stop it. I want to talk to you about Calvin Coolidge when we come back in a speech he gave almost a hundred years ago today on Veterans Day. We'll be right back. Portions, portions, portions of this show brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. You can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return with Y-Refi. And guess what? It's not correlated to the Federal Reserve or the stock market. There are absolutely no fees. There is no attack on principal. If you ever need your money back, you get your monthly statement. No surprises. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. Think of all that flexibility. And it is a secure, collateralized portfolio. That may be a better option for you than where you have your money now. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y. Then refy.com or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-24, 888 y 24 Great people, trustworthy people, honest people. And if you do visit them, they're on Chauncey Lane in North Phoenix, uh, or call them, uh, make sure you can tell them Seth sent you. Calvin Coolidge, I'm beginning to think every speech he gave in 1926 is worth reading. At the dedication of, on this day in 1926, or actually on tomorrow, 1926, dedication of a um, veterans memorial, he said, No one will protect us unless we protect ourselves. Domestic peace and international security are among the first objects to be sought by any government. Without order under the protection of law, there can be no liberty. To ensure these necessary conditions, we maintain a very moderate military establishment in proportion to our numbers and extent of territory. It is a menace to no one except the evildoer. You've heard the phrase evildoer. You maybe wonder where it comes from. I wonder if we don't get it from Calvin Coolidge. Evildoer. It is a menace. Our military is a menace to no one except the evildoer. It is a notice to everybody. I like this. That the authority of our government will be maintained and that we recognize that it is the first duty of Americans to look after America and maintain the supremacy of American rights. How do you like that? Supremacy of American rights. He had no ambivalencies about American exceptionalism. And then he concluded to adopt any other policy would be to invite disorder and aggression which must either be born with humiliating submission or result in a declaration of war. We're going to have a good show coming up. The rest of the uh, show is going to be really good. Uh, We've got Rabbi Elush. He does our two this time of year. He'll be joining us, get an update on his son and um, David Marcus of Fox news is going to join us as well. He had a heck of a great column at foxnews.com and, uh, With that, we'll be right back.